Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time. Your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals to Hyatt, Zalara, Riviera Maya in Mexico and enjoy a selection of exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Please note the following episode contains graphic and disturbing murder scenes involving children. Parental discretion is advised. It was July 3rd, 1929, and shaping up to be another hot one in the US city of Detroit, Michigan when Vincent Elias arrived at 3587 St. Auburn Street. Vincent, a real estate dealer, had arranged to meet Benny Evangelist, who lived at the property with his wife and four children, for a 10.30 business meeting to discuss a farm he was looking to buy from Benny. Vincent knocked on the door and stepped back onto the porch, checking his watch just to make sure he wasn't too early. Looking about the street, He couldn't help but notice how quiet it was for the usually bustling neighbourhood, comprised largely of Italian and Polish immigrants, lured to the new world on the promise of the American dream. Vincent checked his watch again and knocked for a second time, turning his ear to the door to listen out for any sign of movement from inside, but heard nothing. It was certainly a little odd, he thought, since, though the kids would be at school, the youngest and Benny's wife, Santina, would be home, even if Benny had forgotten their appointment. Growing impatient, Vincent pulled open the front door and stepped inside. Taking his hat in his hands, he called through apologetically as he looked about the entrance hall, expecting Benny or Santina to appear any moment, but the house remained completely still. Moving further inside, Vincent spied Benny sitting at his desk, albeit strangely still. Didn't you hear me knocking, he asked, but Benny didn't reply. Benny, he said, stepping closer, the word barely audible as it caught in his throat. For a moment, it looked as though he was leaning so far forward, his head was being obscured by his back, but as Vincent drew nearer, 
he realised with a thumping horror his head wasn't visible because it wasn't on his shoulders. Then Vincent looked down to the floor. There, lying in a thick pool of blood, was Benny's head, his eyes staring lifelessly up to the ceiling. Seconds later, Vincent was back in the street, heaving and gasping for air. Having flagged down two police officers, patrolman Lawrence and Costage, Vincent returned with them to the property, more than happy to be asked to wait for them outside as they conducted a search of the house. They found Benny, just as Vincent had described, dressed in a dark suit, with his body leant forward against the desk, with his hands pressed together in front of him as though conducting a silent prayer. The head seemed to have been taken off in one clean swoop. But there were some other things that Vincent hadn't noticed. Three photos that seemed to have been deliberately placed around the head, each showing the image of a young boy lying dead in a coffin. Then the officers noticed the set of bloody footprints leading away from the head and out of the room. Patrolman Lawrence stepped into the front hall and asked Vincent again who else lived at the property as he eyed the bloody prints that trailed off towards the back of the house. His wife and four children, replied Vincent. With a concerned look toward his partner, Lawrence unclipped his gun and pressed on cautiously. Tracking the prints through the kitchen to the stairs, they took note of the pile of dishes, presumably from the night before, that had been washed but not yet put away. Pulling out their revolvers, the officers crept slowly up the stairs, the creak of each step echoing loudly as they made their way to the second floor and on into the master bedroom. Dear God, muttered Lawrence under his breath. The blood-soaked body of a woman lay strewn across the bed, cradling a dead baby in her arms. The woman's head, which had been all but severed, was hanging limply over the side by a single sinuous thread. The baby's head too had been almost completely obliterated. The walls and bedsheets were splattered with blood, with the rest pooling out onto the floor. A huge gash on the woman's upper arm seemed to suggest the killer had tried to sever that too. And still the bloody footsteps continued, through the bedroom and beyond, into another, smaller bedroom. Officer Lawrence turned away at the sight of a small child, sprawled out on the floor, their skull cleaved right through the middle, and lying one in each of the two beds, two more young children, both killed in the exact same way. One child's arm had also been severed at the shoulder. It was a horror beyond comprehension, and it was about to get even stranger. You're listening to Unexplained, and I'm Richard McLean Smith. Having secured the main house, Lawrence and Costage continued their search of the property, heading first into the attic. All about the room, bunches of herbs had been left out to dry in a way that seemed almost ritualistic. Then, 
amid the boxes of surplus household items, they found a large collection of underwear, which they judged to have belonged to various women, with a different name tag tied to each item. But even more peculiar was what they found in the basement. Heading down into the darkness, Patrolman Lawrence stopped suddenly at the sight of what appeared to be bodies dangling from the ceiling. Scrambling hastily for the light switch, the officer flicked it on to reveal nine or ten life-sized papier-mâché figurines strung up to the ceiling with wire. Each figure, carefully crafted and decorated, was different from the next, with strange and in some cases grotesque features. One had a pair of wings, another an unusually long nose, and one was holding a baby covered in hair. The walls had been draped with green cloth, and in the middle of it all, a gigantic eye, lit up from the inside, had been positioned to shine down on everything. All in all, it was fair to say the officers had never seen anything like it. In a side room, they also found a stash of wine and kegs of beer, a not unusual find during the era of Prohibition. After reporting their strange and horrific find back to police headquarters, the patrolman was soon joined by a swathe of colleagues intrigued to see it all for themselves. In total, more than 20 detectives representing almost every department arrived to take a look, from representatives of homicide to the bomb squad. While outside, as word began to spread around the neighbourhood, soon as many as 200 people had descended on the property, keen to see it all too. Here's something you don't know about me. I often have trouble sleeping, though I might get to sleep easily enough. Within a few hours, I could be wide awake, as my mind races through everything I didn't do, everything I still need to do, or even just to some embarrassing thing I said years ago that no one else even remembers. Relatable? Yeah, it sucks. Fortunately, I was introduced to Sunday Scaries, who make products specifically for overthinkers and night owls like me. CBD gummies to help you decompress, clear your head, and fall asleep, so you can actually wake up a fully functioning human being. I thought I was alone in dealing with everyday stress-related issues, but Sunday Scaries reminded me that I'm not. Whether it's a racing mind, lying awake at night, or feeling on the verge of a nervous breakdown, Sunday Scaries is the perfect tonic and I got you 25% off to prove it. Visit sundayscaries.com and use my promo code UNEXPLAINED for your discount. That's promo code UNEXPLAINED for 25% off at sundayscaries.com. Please note Sunday Scaries should not be used if you're pregnant or nursing. Consult with a physician before use if you have a serious medical condition or use prescription medications. A doctor's advice should be sought before using this and any supplemental dietary product. With Detective Lieutenant John Whitman and Detectives Charles Searle and Earl Switzer leading the investigation, the police set about trying to disentangle just what on earth was going on. With the help of neighbours and Vincent Elias, who'd been detained at the scene, they ascertained the victims to be 36-year-old Santina Evangelist and her husband, the 43-year-old Benny, along with their daughters, 8-year-old Angelina and 6-year-old Jenny, and their sons, five-year-old Matthew and Mario, who was only 18 months old. Business cards found on Benny's desk 
declared him to be a real estate developer and building contractor, but more pertinent to the officers were the other set of business cards they found scattered about the attic, on which was written, Mr. Benny Evangelist, Divine Prophet, Author and Private History Writer. As police continued to search the evangelist's house, things only got more bizarre. A wig and fake beard was found, alongside what appeared to be two ceremonial swords, all of which clashed somewhat with the various crucifixes dotted about the walls and the large painting of the Last Supper in Benny's study. Clearly, there was a little more to Benny Evangelist than met the eye. As for clues to who the killer might be, police found only the bloody footprints, as well as a bloody finger and thumbprint on the front door latch. Unluckily for Vincent, since he was the last known person to enter the house, and his feet were a similar size to the bloody prints, he was promptly taken in for questioning. However, an alibi was quickly established, and he was soon released from custody. Then, detectives received word of a man, seen brandishing a bloody knife, only six blocks from the scene of the crime, in the early hours of the previous morning. It seemed they might have their killer. Later in the afternoon, not long after the victims' bodies were removed from the house as the crowd of hundreds watched on, detectives arrived at 2830 Pierce Street, located roughly five minutes' walk from the evangelist's residence. There, police discovered a razor-edged banana knife, a short-handle axe, and a freshly washed pair of shoes, all said to belong to 34-year-old Angelo Dipoli, who was lodging at the property. On closer inspection, the axe appeared to be covered in bloodstains, and as detectives soon found out, it just so happened that Dipoli, along with his fellow lodger, 42-year-old Umberto Pecchio, had visited the evangelist's property the night before the murders, making them the last known people to see the family alive. With the axe being sent off for testing, the men were immediately brought in for questioning, and though Dipoli claimed to struggle to understand them, he denied all knowledge of the potentially incriminating objects. Tecchio, on the other hand, was a little more forthcoming. As it transpired, it was Dipoli who had in fact accompanied him to the evangelist's property, having gone there to make a final payment on a property he was buying from Benny. As Tecchio explained, the pair arrived at the house around 8pm, then after swiftly making the payment, headed on to a speakeasy where they spent the next few hours drinking together. They both returned to the boarding house around 11pm and promptly went to bed, a fact that was attested to by a number of their fellow boarders. With the murders said to have occurred sometime after midnight, this put Tecchio and Dipoli away from the scene of the crime at the crucial time. After analysis, the marks on the axe were found to be simply rust, and since neither Tecchio or Dipoli's prints matched those found on the door, the pair were released the following day. Suddenly left without their anticipated suspect, the police began to dig a little further into Benny's life. After speaking to Benny's brother, Antonio, things began steadily to become a little clearer. 
Benjamino Evangelista was born in Napoli, Italy, in 1885, and in 1903 emigrated to the USA at the age of 17 to join his brother, who'd moved there two years earlier, living together while picking up odd jobs in construction and on the ever-expanding railroads. Though the pair had once been close, things had become strained between them when one morning, Benny claimed he'd started receiving visions from God. At midnight, for three hours every night, since February 2nd, 1906, he explained, he'd been falling into a trance, during which he was given visions of the true history of the world and how it had been created, dating back 15,400 years to the time before Adam, all the way to the birth of Christ. Benny had also begun recording each and every vision he'd experienced for inclusion in a book he was planning to write. In response, Antonio, who like Benny had been brought up a strict Roman Catholic, tried at first to ignore his brother's strange and growing obsession until eventually he couldn't bear it any longer. By 1908, he'd become so unsettled by it, he disowned Benny and sent him away to the town of York in Pennsylvania, where he was able to find more work in railroad construction. Antonio knew little about his brother's time spent in York, but by 1920, the pair had been reconciled, with Benny joining Antonio in Detroit, where he'd since moved with his family. Like thousands of others, Antonio had been drawn to the city by the extraordinary boom of the automobile industry, led by the Ford Motor Company and General Motors. Benny, however, had other ideas. Benny's time in York had done nothing to dampen his apparent fascination with mysticism, and by the time he moved to Detroit, he'd even established himself as something of a prophet and faith healer. And soon, rumours of his unusual talent began to spread around the neighbourhood. Working as a carpenter by day, at night, Benny moonlighted as a healer and prophet for hire, offering spells and healing rituals for up to $10 a pop, though some might come for the novelty of a fortune read or the purchase of a love potion, $10 or $140 in today's money wasn't cheap, and while others derided him as nothing but a circus fraud, many sincerely believed that what Benny was offering would cure them of their ills. It was during one such appointment that Benny met his wife Santina, and before long the pair had moved in together and were expecting their first child. Over time, Benny made so much money, he was able to do away with the carpentry altogether, and instead turned his attention to real estate, while continuing to moonlight as a faith healer. And as the real estate business grew, so too did Benny's commitment to his more unusual profession. After moving in to the large four-bedroom house at 3587 St Auburn Street, he immediately set about converting the basement into an altar that would become the centre point of his healing rituals. The strange folk models he'd had constructed and hung up in there were depictions of various celestial planets which he would then use to help read the signs that he claimed to receive from God. And on February 2nd, 1926, 20 years after he started, he finally finished his book, which was published that year under the title The Oldest History of the World, 
discovered by occult science, many copies of which were found by police piled up in his home. In it, Benny laid out the history of the world as it had apparently been dictated to him by God, in effect constituting a new earth, which he named the Great Union Federation of America. In spite of this all, however, Benny continued to attend the local Catholic church, San Francesco's, which had become a haven for much of the local Italian population. Located on Brewster Street, only a few blocks from St Albans, it was presided over by Father Francis Beccarini. Each of Benny and Santina's four children were baptised there, leading Father Beccarini to suspect, as he later told the police, that Benny's interest in the occult was purely for financial gain, as opposed to any genuine spiritual interest. And yet, even at the time of his death, every night from midnight to 3am, Benny continued to sit at his desk in his office and wait for the visions from God. Are you a proud cat person? You love your cat, but that doesn't mean you love having a litter box in your home. Kitty Poo Club takes care of the more unpleasant parts of cat ownership so you can get back to loving your furry friend. Kitty Poo Club is an all-in-one litter box solution designed to be convenient for you. Every month, Kitty Poo Club delivers an affordable, high-quality, recyclable litter box that's pre-filled with the litter of your choice. The boxes are leak-proof, eco-friendly, and have a fun design for every season. And when the month is up, just recycle the box and Kitty Poo Club will automatically deliver a new one to you. No changing used litter and no more cleaning the box. So give yourself the gift that keeps on giving the whole year, a Kitty Poo Club subscription. Right now, Kitty Poo Club is offering you 20% off your first order when you set up auto ship by going to kittypooclub.com and entering promo code UNEXPLAINED. Just go to kittypooclub.com and enter promo code UNEXPLAINED to get 20% off when you set up auto ship. That's K-I-T-T-Y-P-O-O-C-L-U-B.com and enter promo code UNEXPLAINED at checkout. At a loss to establish a motive, the police began to wonder if Benny and his family had been murdered by a disgruntled customer who he'd been unable to heal, or perhaps the partner of one of the women whose underwear he'd been keeping in the attic. Another theory was that if Benny had been working to build up a cult following for his new religion, Perhaps one of the followers in a fit of religious mania had been driven mad by the grotesque figurines during one of his rituals and had later returned to the house to murder the family. Things weren't helped by the fact that many in the local neighbourhood, some because of how they'd been treated in the past and others due to their not entirely legal status, had grown suspicious of the police and so they were reluctant to come forward with any pertinent information. Of the few neighbours and friends that did speak, however, despite Benny's own doctor describing him as insane on account of his dealings in the occult, most had only warm things to say about him and his family, though they thought it odd whenever they saw him in the street gazing toward the sky and gesticulating wildly. He appeared to be well respected among the local community. He'd even been granted a licence by the state of Michigan to practice his unusual medicine. And as for his visions of the real earth history that he hoped to spread through his own Bible, it was no more speculative or unquantifiable as the very book under which much of the nation laboured. 
For the police investigators, however, it was all a little too peculiar. That no money, jewellery or anything else of monetary value appeared to have been taken in the attack only seemed to strengthen their theory that his dabblings in the occult were to blame. A brief attempt to connect the crime with a similarly horrific and brutal murder of a woman and her two children in nearby River Rouge was quickly dismissed. Despite offering $1,000, or 14000 in today's money, for any substantial information, no one came forward. On Saturday, July 6th, as a crowd of 3,000 gathered to watch, six opal-coloured caskets were wheeled out of F.L. Calcaterra Funeral Home by 16 girls dressed all in white and pushed across the road to San Francesco's church. Emotions were high amongst the close-knit community, shocked by the senseless brutality of it all, as many, including Antonio Evangelista, along with his brother Joseph, who'd made the long and arduous journey from Italy to be there, wept openly. Inside, with the church having been filled up long before the service began, the mourners stood as the six caskets were wheeled inside and placed in single file, running all the way down to the transept. As Father Beccarini led the solemn requiem mass, many had to be helped from the building, having become so overwhelmed with grief. Meanwhile, throughout the crowd, a number of plainclothed police officers kept a watchful eye on the proceedings for any hint that the murderer might be among them. One man immediately caught their attention, who was seen arriving alone at the church by bike, wearing a battered hat and a well-worn suit. After deciding the man, John Ryan, had been acting strangely, officers took him in for questioning. However, the man, who was later judged to have been suffering from psychiatric problems and who weighed barely 90 pounds, was quickly released. Later that afternoon, the six bodies of the evangelist family were taken to Mount Olivet Cemetery and laid to rest. After the funeral, Detroit police held a press conference to appeal for witnesses, in particular anyone who might have been walking by the house at the time of the murders, to come forward. With no further tangible clues, aside from the bloody prints, the police began the arduous task of pouring through the family's possessions in search of a lead. Having also at first been looking for an axe as the murder weapon, Dr Paul Kleber, the Wayne County coroner, who examined the bodies, concluded it was in fact a sharp knife and not an axe that they should be looking for. Self-styled human engineer and astrologer Clark Robson, having consulted his astrological charts, gave his opinion to the press, stating that the police needn't worry too much, since with Mercury and Uranus being 50 degrees apart, the killer, who he judged to be a man of less than medium height, with a dark complexion, was also a show-off and would shortly confess to the crime to gain notoriety. Robson also suggested that Benny Evangelist, who he claimed on looking at his horoscope, was largely driven by his desire for money, had known his death was coming, and that despite what the police had said, it was in fact a dispute over money that led to his and his family's murder.
It was some point around the time of the funeral, with investigators trawling through Benny's personal letters, that they uncovered something unusual. A series of letters sent to Benny, demanding money. And though no threat was explicitly made, it was more than implicit, not least because the letters had been signed simply, The Black Hand. Though not much was known about the exact nature of the Black Hand at the time, the organisation is thought to have originated in Napoli sometime in the 18th century. In 1907, a Black Hand training camp was discovered in Hillsville, Pennsylvania, while many proponents of the organisation appeared to be active in most Italian communities of major cities on both sides of the country. Many police departments within the corresponding cities had even established special Black Hand units to combat them. And so it seemed finally the police had the lead they'd been looking for. Surely now, solving the murders would only be a matter of time. You're listening to Unexplained Season 5, Episode 12, Profit and Loss, Part 1 of 2. Part 2 will be released next Friday, March 19th. If you enjoy Unexplained and would like to help supporters, you can now do so via Patreon. To receive access to ad-free episodes, just go to patreon.com forward slash unexplainedpod to sign up. Or if you'd like to make a one-time donation, you can go to unexplainedpodcast.com forward slash support. All donations, no matter how large or small, are greatly appreciated. Unexplained the book and audiobook, featuring 10 stories that have never before been covered on the show, is now available to buy worldwide. You can purchase through Amazon, Barnes & Noble and Waterstones, among other bookstores. All elements of Unexplained, including the show's music, are produced by me, Richard McLean Smith. Please subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to podcasts, and feel free to get in touch with any thoughts or ideas regarding the stories you've heard on the show. Perhaps you have an explanation of your own you'd like to share. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals at Ryu Hotels and Resorts in Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central America. And enjoy a selection of exclusive non-stop vacation flights. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started.